and fans of the edition of the Global Revolution. As always, with Cool Skies Reacts, bringing to you all the wrestling which may have fallen under your radar. This week, again, we have three, count them three, promotions to bring to you. We're going to be talking about the Chikara season finale, season 19, wrapping up on December 8th with Let's Get Invisible. We're going to talk all about that show. Also, selected matches from this year of WXW, as we always love to chat about, including some from their most recent release, the Road to Anniversary show, coming up on their 18th anniversary very soon. Also, some selected matches from Bar Wrestling, that Southern California promotion that we love very, very much. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to bring it all to you. It's going to be great. And I do say we, because I could not, would not, should not do this by myself. Joined by a lovely, wonderful man. He's my friend, and he should be yours. He's called Jeff. Jeff, say hello. Hello, everybody out there in podcast and internet land. Jeff here, Ms. Fan there. Happy holidays to everybody. Um, as we're coming down to the end of the year, and with the end of the year comes some uh, some really fun stuff in the world of pro wrestling. As Ms. Fan said, the uh, the season finale of Chikara, Let's Get Invisible, as season 19 draws to a close. We're going to be talking all about that. One of Chikara's, I think, best shows of the year. At least one genuine match of the year contender. whole bunch of storylines coming out of that. That's going to be a fun one to talk about. Plus, bar wrestling in WXW. You know, it's a good set this week. Lots of good stuff, lots of good matches, lots of good wrestlers and promotions. Rizman, take us away. Where do we even start this week? Because there's just so much, so much to talk about. Let's get so into all So much indeed. Let's do it. Let's talk about the Chikara season finale. We're going to run down the card. Everything as you said, this was a great card, I thought. Um, jump right into it. All right, I have our opening match, which is Juan Francisco de Coronado taking on Green Ant. And I got to say, as I almost always say when Juan Francisco is involved, this is a great match. I, I, I enjoyed this tremendously. I think Juan Francisco is a treasure to all of wrestling kind. And I think Green Ant has gotten very, very good in uh, pretty much his first year of wrestling here. He's a very promising talent, held his own pretty well here. The only thing I didn't love in this match is uh, the commentary. So I believe when Scott Holiday was on there saying Juan Francisco never smiles, which is such a lie. He smiles very wide every time he does his tiger driver and he's trying to pin a guy. And uh, it's just not true. So don't tell lies on commentary. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, I had a great time in this match. What did you think? Oh, yes. First off, I want to come to the defense of Scott Holiday, who I thought did a Really, really remarkably good job on commentary throughout this show. Why was he lying, man, is my question. I don't know. I don't know why he lied, but I, um, other than that, that, that just moment of just sheer, just incorrectness, I thought he did a really good job overall, uh, through his commentary on this show. But as far as this match goes, I mean, it's Juan Francisco de Coronado, who I genuinely believe to be one of the best wrestlers in the world and certainly one of the most overlooked talents in the world of current professional wrestling, just the guy who deserves a lot more love than he ever gets. Taking on Green Ant, who, like several of Chikara's young talents, just gets better and better literally every time he gets in the ring. Um, this was a you know very fun opening bout. Um, a, a standard bearer of Chikara's uh, recent past and present in Juan Francisco, taking on a guy who should be the standard bearer for the future of Jakara in Green Ant. I thought this was an excellent match. A lot of fun technical stuff here. In the end, Juan Francisco de Coronado picks up the victory over Green Ant in what was just a, a good match. I had a blast with it. It was fun to watch and fun to see um, how 
these two matched up, and they matched up pretty well, I thought. So this is a good one. Good start for this uh, uh, season finale for Chikara. Indeed so. Uh, Juan Francisco really caps off a great year um, on top of last year, which was also great for him. He's on a really tremendous roll, I think. Uh, move on to an elimination tag match, four-way tag. Uh, people looking to rack up some points towards title contendership. We have uh, the new incarnation of Fist, the pairing of Icarus and Tony Deppin. We have Los Ice Creams, we have Blanche Babish and Jeremy Leary, and we have Crummels and Defarge. Um, this, uh, um, eh, I don't know, this was probably, um, it was, uh, it was fine. Like, it was probably the weakest match to me on the card, um, and maybe just because there wasn't a lot that I, uh, was invested in, um, I don't know, it, it was fine. I, I don't know if I have a lot to say about it. Uh, anything from you? Um... I guess not. Like, I mean, I enjoyed this match, but I didn't think there really was a whole lot to say about this. Uh, This was more, to me, it felt like more to make sure we got, you know, everybody who deserved to be on the card on the card than, you know, Leary and Babbers certainly deserved to be there. I thought they've made a a fun tag team uh, together. Just really want to reiterate, um, you know, how, how, how blank, essentially, once he developed a new character and really got into actually being a solid Rudo suddenly became one of our favorite guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not to the same extent, certainly not to the same extent, but Jeremy Leary as a face just works so much better than his old um, Rudo incarnation that mm-hmm. it is just, he's, he really has become a treat to watch. And Blanche Babish, um, also very fun. Can't wait to see how she improves and grows in uh, 2019 and beyond. I think she's got a bright future. Um, Crumbles and Defarge always make for fun, especially a uh, big old Sonny Defarge, um, Tony Depp and Icarus. Uh, I really like the new incarnation of Fist. Tony Depp and just he does several little things to be just the most irritating man on earth, and it's great. I like him, and the ice creams are here, so um, a, a good combination of people, an all right match. Um, just kind of glad to see everybody get onto this card. Um, unfortunately, this this match left. Uh, not too much of an impression on me to the point where I don't actually remember who won, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, uh, understandably so. Um, it is Crumbles and Defarge who get the win. Um, okay, yeah, I, I, I don't have a strong opinion on that, I guess. Um, I will definitely agree with you, Jeremy Leary. Uh, it's been a lot better to watch as a babyface. I don't know why. Um, and I thought it was a little weird that he was... Uh, here kind of doing this instead of, you know, he really had no part in the big war against the Proteus wheel. You'd think he'd be more involved in that. Um, yeah. Instead he was here kind of wanted... like going back to the hair shtick and just kind of not being connected to anything. Um, so that was yeah, a little I, weird. Yeah. I, I definitely want to get into that a little bit more once we get to that Proteus wheel match. But in oh. general, I very heavily agree on, on that front. Very weird. No, nope, no, nope, fair enough. So yes, Crumbles and Defarge racking up points. Um, I I like Crumbles and Defarge uh, reasonably well. I don't know if I'm banging down the door to see them get another title shot, but uh, but we'll see. I suppose what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, speaking of, uh, oh no, wait, you have something before. Uh, after this match, we have kind of. One of the matches I was weirdly looking forward to the most, like not the most, but uh, the match is Blank versus Penelope Ford, which is fairly random as matches go. But um, but yeah, uh, this was a lot of fun. 
because Blank, as you said, has really become a favorite. He's tremendously fun with his kind of mad, eccentric artist character. It's hard to even really describe. Uh, Penelope Ford, somebody I like quite a lot. I thought she delivered extremely well here. Uh, and perhaps best of all, you had Juan Francisco doing commentary, which he is spectacular at. Um, just like he is great at everything. So a lot of great things in this uh, match. Kind of ended up one of be, being one of my favorites on the card. I have to agree. Uh, the biggest, I think, plus for this match is Juan Francisco's appreciation of art. He understands <laughs> Blank. He, he appreciates what Blank does. He appre- he's, an, he's an art connoisseur, is uh, Mr. Juan Francisco de Coronado, and that added some uh, fun elements to this match. Overall, he has this was... no idea who Race Jackson is. So. No idea. Never heard of the man. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this is another very fun match. Another match I was, uh, kind of like you, was looking forward to. Wasn't necessarily something I was going to... Uh, Coming, to that, that's being, uh, coming into this show being like, oh, man, I really got to check this out. This has huge, you know, storyline and title implications. No, this was just very fun, a weird, uh, a, a fitting match for a Chikara uh, season finale, I think. Uh, we take a really weird, bizarre, fun, enjoyable character in blank and team him up against somebody like Penelope Ford, you know, very big star in her own right, you know, growing in the world of pro wrestling and just really talented, by the way. I don't know if we've ever um, really put a point on that, but Penelope Ford, really, really good. Super really athletic. Good. Yeah. Really enjoy seeing her in the Jakara ring. I think this is, what, her second or third match uh, in Jakara, I think. First singles match, yeah. First but, uh, singles match. But, but doesn't go, <laughs> Fortunately, it doesn't quite go the way she would like it to, as uh, Blank wins this match. And not only wins this match, but afterwards um, poses... Um, the down Penelope Ford and has uh, still life that forgotten pairs take photos of her uh, as the new art piece. Uh, what was the name of it? I think it was a lily in place of a rose. I think it was. Yeah. Better than I could do. <laughs> Better than I heard. Um, uh, but yes, yeah, a, a, yeah. a new art piece and art installation from the Nouveau Aesthetic, which I think was an amazing touch for a uh, a blank victory here. Good stuff. It was a very nice touch. Uh, I think we all know that Chikara sometimes has connections to, like, early 90s, uh, late 80s WWF style. So doing a thing to your opponent after you beat them is pretty much uh, as in that style as you can get. So, uh, indeed, why not have something like this to do? Uh, I think it fits them very well. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Absolutely so. Um All right, let's see. What else do we got? I believe after this we have, as I mentioned before, the big Proteus Wheel War to uh, possibly cap off this whole long-standing storyline in Chikara. And I mean long. Like, you can trace this back uh, at least five years, if not further, like many of the best stories of Chikara. Uh, On the one side, you have the Proteus Wheel, including Professor Nicodemus, four-person team. On the other, Missile Assault Man, Lucas Calhoun, and Axel Ford, and uh, how about you? I had a very good time with this. Uh, yes. Quite a war, huge bumps, uh, big like lots of chairs, weapons involved, chains. Uh, frantic, seemingly got his leg destroyed. Um, everyone basically just tried to kill each other, and it was it was quite fun. I thought. Yes, indeed. Um, from the moment I saw 
uh, Lucas Calhoun emerged from the back with a punch more Nazi shirt. I knew this match was going to be uh, spectacular and really good. And it, sure enough, it was a very good time. Uh, Missile Assault Man got some revenge on the Proteus wheel, breaking seemingly uh, Frantic's leg with the uh, same sort of pilmanized chair shot. Um, being able to call out Missile Assault Man to a raucous uh, rapport from the crowd before mm-hmm. doing so, which was a good touch. Uh, Axel Ford, um, I don't know. I think I missed the episode where we did actually see Axel Ford wrestle. Did I? I don't remember. But I believe you might uh, have, yes. <laughs> but yes, uh, I, I kind of enjoy Axel Ford. This is only like my he's second time <laughs> seeing him, but he's pretty good. So yeah. I thought he did a pretty good job here as well. Um, and I thought the uh, the Proteus Hero guys, I thought, did pretty well as well. I'm still just in love with Calix the Castigator as a, uh, <laughs> as a character and as a wrestler. There was a... Uh, a uh, promo video that played a few times. I don't know if it was something they posted on uh, Chikara or Chikara's YouTube page, but just a sort of the all the members of the Proteus Wheel talking about uh, sort of the upcoming match, which revealed two things to me. One, Professor Nicodemus is amazing at promos. Like <laughs> he's just he's a tremendous character, and even with uh, as we will see this defeat uh, coming on in this match, hopefully he does not like leave the company or something because I think he's got a he's. He, he seems like he brings a lot to the table as, mm-hmm. if not a character, which I think he does as a character, but if not as a character, then certainly as a promo-cutting guy, because he's really good there. Um, but also, Calix the Castigator is just – he's good at everything. There's nothing Calix the Castigator at this point is not – like, he's got a great Twitter feed. He's a really fun wrestler. <laughs> he cuts really good promos, probably uh, after Nicodemus, the next best guy, and I think leagues ahead – um, of Volgar and Frantic, who in their own right are pretty solid, except I wish Volgar kind of emoted more, but that's uh, neither here nor there. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just really big on Calix. Um, I think he's really good. Um, and this match, uh, went the way it should have with the, uh, the trio of, uh, um, former Proteus Wheel, I guess, members of Lucas Calhoun, Mrs. Allman, and Axel Ford picking up the victory. When Missile Salt Man drops Professor Nicodemus, who had in this match had wielded both mace and a wiffle ball bat, um, <laughs> to basically no one's no one's credit, to no one's help, um, for being dropped with a scorpion death drop and pinned for the loss for the Proteus Wheel. So, a good match, but the one thing I did want to mention, like I said earlier, I, I just think it's very weird, not necessarily the uh, best booking um, overall that Jeremy Leary um, played no part in basically any of this after, like, the first few matches against the Proteus Wheel. Mm. Like, it seems like about the same time that, what's his name, CDM, whatever that guy was, CMD. Yeah, uh, I believe. Yes. Uh, basically, by the time he ended up out of the thing, uh, so did Leary, which was, um, I don't know, I just... I feel like he could have played a much uh, bigger role in here. I don't know. Maybe if you have him show up to kind of fend off Professor Nicodemus at one point. I don't know. I just – it seems like a, a, a hanging thread that didn't get tied up that really should have been. Um, don't know if they're going to do anything with that into next season. They really should, I think, and I certainly hope so. But, yeah, it just seemed, it seemed very odd to me that we didn't get any of Leary basically at all once this uh, – Match was not only set up or really getting into setup, but then just at all during the match or afterwards. Mm. It just seemed weird. 
Yep, yep. I, I would have to agree with that. It, it seems strange um, that that would happen. So, I don't know. Perhaps uh, there will be some explanation or reasoning or I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see if anything does turn out from that. But uh, in the meantime, match was very good. Really delivered well, so uh, I was quite pleased with it. A very just, nice. Just wanna, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say uh, shout out to Lucas Calhoun for taking. I think it was Lucas Calhoun who took like a uh, front flip bump onto a whole bunch of chairs and just like actually Oof, yes. bounced <laughs> off of them. That was a uh, a tough spot. So hopefully uh, he's doing all right because that looked uh, very brutal, very cool, and very brutal. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it did. Quite quite the spot of the match, I would say. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, moving on. We have a uh, very interesting different type of match. It is uh, Hollow Wicked taking on Boomer Hatfield in a match that uh, I believe uh, it was said that Boomer asked for. And uh, Hollow Wicked, um, you know, pretty much warned Boomer, I'm going to destroy you. And... Pretty much he did, uh, but there is one very convincing near fall in this match that I thought was spectacularly executed, uh, and then it's mostly just Hollow Wicked just unloading his whole um, move set onto Boomer before uh, pinning him decisively. Mm-hmm. But still, uh, a very good match. Definitely served its purpose. Um, not uh, you know uh, uh, an all-out war or anything like the match before it, but. Uh, I quite liked it. I thought it was good for what it was. Yes, indeed. What I really appreciated about this match is the fact that Hollow Wicked won with not one of his major finishing moves. He didn't use yes. the, the go to Sleepy Hollow. He didn't use the never wake up. He didn't use the Yakuza kick. No, he just basically mauled through uh, poor Boomer with three versions of that uh, the Super Snapmare, I guess now called the Nightmare, um, which is A, a great name, be a great move and see boomer took it like a champ all three times getting <laughs> dropped repeatedly before being pinned in what i thought was just a really good uh wasn't necessarily a back and forth match but i thought it was a really good showing for uh, boomer to kind of show what he could do it was really nice to see him stand up to a guy like uh hollow wicked who in his own right really delivered really played the antagonist part in this match super well this was this was a fun one, and uh, Boomer, uh, much like uh, Danger Hawk, Razor Hawk, and Green Ant, really just someone who gets better every time they get in the ring. So really enjoy seeing how he's come along this season. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. Can't wait to see what uh, 2019 and Season 20 hold in store for him, because uh, when we get to the end of this uh, part of the set, we're going to, I think, have to talk about that a little bit, because some interesting stuff happens towards the end of this show that we'll get to in. In a bit. In a bit. Mm-hmm. Interesting is putting it mildly. Very um, mildly, let's say. Yep, yep. So that, that'll be a lot of fun to speak on. But uh, in the meantime, the show continues. We get a uh, high-stakes Atomicos match. It is the Creatures of the Deep taking on Razor Rock, Danger Rock, Fire Ant, and Thief Ant. Um, and I say high-stakes because apparently it seems that um, Oceania threaten the lives of Hermit Crab and Cajun Crawdad if they lose another match here. So, yes, uh, I think that happened on uh, Cybernetico, if I recall, and she was not at all happy with uh, her uh, her stands as it is and was just literally going to actually murder them or something. Her stands? Or whatever, they, whatever term 
somebody uses something to refer to them as. I don't know what it is I'm, anymore. I'm not saying you're wrong. Ass. I just, uh, uh, all right, yes. They may be her stands, indeed. I'm not hip enough to Stooges her. Oh, never mind. <laughs> anyway, she was going to kill them, and that was going to be very bad, so. Anyway, she's going to kill them. There, that's Chikara, so there you go. <laughs> that's lovely. Indeed. Um, yeah, I thought this was very fun. Uh, it uh, wasn't necessarily my favorite match on the show, but I thought it moved along very nicely. It had some uh, really good elements. I, I like that they kept uh, going for the tidal wave on the creatures of the deep side. It kept getting countered. Uh, Fire Ant was like directing a lot of Technico traffic since he has like by a huge margin the most experience. Uh, I thought a lot of good stuff was going on here. Yes, indeed. Um... Just in general, I did like that sort of focus on the uh, the tidal wave for the uh, creature of the, of the deep. You know, Oceania seems to know that she can rely on exactly one other person, and that person being Murloc. Um, they not only have a killer uh, double-team finishing move, but they also just get along really nicely. They have a good dynamic, which she doesn't quite have with uh, the Crab or the Crawdad. So the fact that she was kind of focusing on working with Murloc, focusing on doing this... Uh, particularly dangerous double team move with him. I thought, you know, made a lot of sense, really gave a good, uh, element to the match. Um, there's a couple times where it would get countered or it would get avoided. And, you know, I think the last time before that could actually happen, the crab and the crawdad actually showed their worth and made sure the move actually went off without a hitch so that the creatures of the deep could indeed win this match, which I thought was a nice, uh, nice element as well. Um, really just an overall solid match. Uh, shout outs to Razorhawk for doing an awesome, uh, rope walk Frankensteiner onto the, uh, the crab walking hermit crab on the ropes. That was a really awesome spot as well. Um, Fire Ant looked great in this match. Really, I thought everybody did their part really, really well in this match. So, mm-hmm. big ups to everybody. Really fun Atomico's match here. And the Creatures of the Deep, who up to this point haven't exactly done necessarily a whole lot pick up the solid victory here good for them good for them <laughs> indeed yes um i remember when this group formed i thought they were going to be really um powerful and like win a lot of things and they really haven't um but apparently they won enough not to be murdered uh yet so so we'll see how they do in the next season um but uh yeah that brings up to the match that I was the most excited about coming in, and the match that I think coming out, I would say was my favorite of the night. Um, it is Travis Huckabee taking on Solo Darling in one of the uh, most well-built-up matches of the year, of all year. I love this story. I love uh, all the way back to when Travis Huckabee was a, a referee, um, but he stood up to Max Smashmaster when he was trying to uh, injure Solo Darling and kind of disregarded his referee attitude. I love thinking back to him in, in the, the chair, the, the barber's chair that turned out to belong to the Whisper, and confessing that he had feelings for Solo Darling. He was too shy to ask her out. He was going to try to be her tag team partner instead. Uh, the Rumblebees is a team that hugely won me over as they went on. Uh, and I became more and more invested in these characters and in their story. And then uh, Travis Huckabee, when the team was not finding success, decided to break up the team. And even though Solo was very broken up about it, it was very, it was like, well, maybe, maybe Travis is right. They weren't exactly winning. Maybe they need just a fresh start. 
but then, but then we see the true colors of Travis Huckabee as when Solo starts to have more success after going alone than he did, after she is able to do things like pin Roy Gulak, she's able to accomplish things that he is not able to. Suddenly, he's not so uh, selfless in his uh, splitting of the team and his ending of the relationship. Suddenly, he's the one who can't handle it. Suddenly, he realizes maybe he was the problem all along, and uh, we learn pretty conclusively that underneath uh, kind of his veneer of wanting a fresh start, he thought Solo was the problem. Solo was the weak one. So he breaks bad. He attacks Solo Darling, who uh, has never been anything but a friend to him. He joins Fist. He shaves his head. He starts acting like a huge jerk. And it all comes down to this. And, man, I was almost too hyped for this. Like, I thought this could have been uh, an absolute five-star classic. I don't know if it quite reached that level. But, man... It was close. It was my match of the night. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I, I just, oh man, I love the story. I love these characters. I love Chikara. It's great. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree on you there. And I'm actually going to go one step farther. I genuinely believe this to be not only a Chikara match of the year contender, <laughs> but on its own right, a genuine match of the year contender. The storyline going in, many of the spots in this match, the way that a lot of things play out. Um, I was just enthralled with this match. There were so many just cool moments, cool callbacks in this match. You know, you had a uh, uh, one of the biggest things being Solo Darling, even after everything, even after the betrayal by Travis, even after every harsh thing she he's done to her, pile driving her, um, just, just all this nasty stuff. There was still a moment early on where she was just like, listen, we can forget about all this. You know, we can go back to being cool can be you can be fine you know i still appreciate you i still have feelings and care for you and travis you know at that time um disregarded that and said no you know we're, we're, we're here we're doing this now we're fighting um which led to cool spots like travis doing his uh swinging um stretch muffler into the turnbuckle on the outside mm. which i thought was an awesome spot um, Travis just being completely um, just in top Rudo form in this match. Just a lot of the way he carried himself, the way he would do moves, was just uh, spectacular throughout this match. Um, at one point, um, he even does the Rumblebee's beasting towards the end of this match, the running hip attack to the uh, opponent on the apron, uh, which was just an uh, insult to injury at that point in the match, which was great. Uh, there's just a lot of good back and forth stuff. Um, yeah, I was just like I said, I was enthralled with this match. There were so many just good callbacks, both of them doing their finishers to one another. Um, Huckabee at one point hits that big pile driver that we know injured Solo um, a few shows back, and you know that that kind of seems to be like sort of the big calling card, the big finishing move, and he pins her, and you think it's going to be it. one, two kick out just like oh my god she kicked out of the pile driver this is awesome mm. this rules what a great moment what a great spot um he ends up hitting her with another one and ends up taking too much time allowing her to recover um they sort of trade things back and forth and looks like you know after earlier when she wanted to do the uh, high five and travis um disregarded her just as it looks like solo is about to you know maybe put the match away and win this match Suddenly, Travis himself is saying, okay, 
I'm sorry. You win. You got me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way I treated you. And he himself looks to do that exact same handshake uh, thing between them and maybe call things off uh, with commentary being like, oh, maybe she finally beat some sense into him. And maybe you're going to get maybe some sort of nice feel-good moment. Um, and you are, but in a different way, as Travis does indeed. They go through with this. Travis looks to betray her one last time to try to hurt her and take advantage of her. It doesn't pay out. doesn't pay off. Because this time, instead of Solo Darling being forced to uh, submit or be knocked out while in her own hold, this time Solo applies the golden grip, the golden dream of Travis Huckabee onto Travis Huckabee himself and forces him to tap out for the finish of this match. This ruled. I love this match. I've loved the story uh, between these two. I thought this match paid off in a whole bunch of ways. A lot of good emotions in this match. A lot of good callbacks. A lot of good spots. I had a tremendous time watching uh, both Solo and Travis here. Um, genuinely two of Chikara's uh, best stars, best wrestlers right now. And a enthralling story. A great you know rivalry and feud and everything between these two. Then culminated in my match of the night for sure, and almost inarguably one of Chikara's matches of the year. Just mm-hmm. outstanding, outstanding wrestling and an outstanding example of once again why Chikara is one of the best promotions in the world, bar none. Storytelling, being able to make that storytelling pay off in the ring, they're just they're just one of the best. Always have been, probably always will be. Chikara rules. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my only beef with all of that, the only the only spot I really didn't like, is um, Solo Darling really should not have been falling for Travis's, like, fake-out reunion stuff after everything that's happened. Uh, that That's the only thing that rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. Like, uh, come on, like, this is a guy who knocked you out and, like, you know, beat you up while you were unconscious, so let, let's not... Let's not do the Rumblebee's hand motion the minute he says he's sorry, but uh, she did kick his ass from stem to stern in the end, and um, that that's really what counts. It was an awesome, mm-hmm. awesome match. Um, Indeed. So, yeah, um, from there you got two more matches. The two titles of Chikara, uh, or the main ones, I suppose, being defended is uh, the closers, Rick Rowland and Sloan Caprice defending the Capitano State Press against the uh, unlikely team of Princess Kimberly and The Whisper, and uh, I'm not sure what show this was on, maybe something that was added after we watched, but we did see a video backstage of uh, Princess Kimberly saying to The Whisper, what makes you think I won't just tap out the minute that uh, our first match starts? And um, I can't recall exactly what he said, but uh, it seems to indicate that he still has some sort of... uh, influence on her, some sort of hold on her, kind of presented the uh, tiara that uh, makes her a princess to the fans of Chikara, and um, and yeah, so so something about that storyline is not over, as we very strongly suspected anyway, but nice to have a little bit of a mention of that. Um, and uh, as for the match, I thought overall, very good, a little short for a, a tag title match in Chikara, um, but Princess Kimberly is awesome. The closers are uh, are pretty dang good. 
the Whisper uh, is an interesting character. I'm a little mixed on his wrestling sometimes, but uh, but yeah, there, there was a lot of good stuff in here, um, and uh, it's set up for a very interesting finish. I don't know if you want to take us through that here. Oh yes, the the finish probably being uh, one of my favorite, if not my absolute favorite thing about this match. Um, <laughs> overall, throughout the match, you have uh, Kimberly and the Whisper basically refusing to work together, as is basically the norm for them. Um, but towards the end of this match, you know, once it's you know one fall apiece, and you can kind of see the title, the uh, end of the tunnel with the titles at the end of it. Once that sort of comes into light, uh, the two of them really start sort of getting into a next gear. Um, I believe, if I recall correctly, the Whisper is getting pinned at one point, or being about to take be about to be taken out. Let me get my words out correctly. When Kimberly actually makes the save for him and rescues him, um, he is very pleased about this. He is very happy with this. Actually, ends up giving Kimberly a hug in the middle of this match. Kimberly is very, like, unhappy about this. She uh, does not like the whisper at all, is not appreciative of this hug she is being given, and she responds in the only way she knows how, by throwing a German suplex and launching the whisper behind her um, German style. Um, what she does not know, what she does not realize, is as she does this, the whisper does not hit the canvas. It doesn't, you know, fly and land back and shoulders neck first, just onto the regular ring canvas. No, he instead lands back, head, neck, and shoulders first onto one member of the closers. She throws him and, you know, fins off the other closer just out of sheer anger and just dislike for this. The referee counts a three as the, as the whisper is literally laying in pinfall position over the prone um, closer, counts three, and... The audience roars with approval, which signals to Kimberly that something that she did not want to have happen has just occurred. She just gets this completely sour look on her face as Preston Blathers announces the winners and new Campeonatos de Parejas, Campeones de Parejas, in Kimberly and The Whisper. This was, I think, a, a pretty solid match. Definitely not one of my uh, all-time favorite uh tag title bouts in Chikara, uh, but a, a really good match. You know, it, it's four pretty solid participants all around. Kimberly is great. Uh, as you said, the both closers, I think, really good, make a really solid tag team. Kind of like you on The Whisperer, I, I think he's got some cool, interesting stuff that he can do in the ring, but he's not always my favorite dude in there, but he's a super intriguing character, so I think all four of those things acquiesce to a pretty solid match, but the ending with Kimberly literally suplexing the Whisper into a pinfall unintentionally to win them the tag team titles was just ingenious. It was fun, and it, it, it just ruled for the story between the Whisper and Kimberly. So now the two of them are technically uh, campeones. Uh, she is very unhappy about this and just marches to the back while the Whisper celebrates with both titles around his shoulder, uh, leaving the ring as the champion's this was a a, a good storyline moment, a very good uh, story uh, happening, I think, for Jakara. Where this is going to go, what the relationship is now going to be like between The Whisper and Kimberly, who knows? We will definitely have to see in Season 20. I think that's one of the more intriguing things on the slate for next season, and I definitely can't wait to see where it ends up going. 
Uh, indeed, yeah. I uh, I pretty much agree with all that. I, I thought it was a really clever finish. Um, I, I love to see where the story goes. My only slight uh, critique is I sort of feel that um, you should not be able to win a wrestling title by accident. Like, it should be difficult enough that maybe you can't do it without meaning to. But still, it was set up really well. I can't complain too much, and uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting tag title reign. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just really want to know where they're going with Kimberly and Whisper, so I'm very excited about it. And, Indeed, it's going to be uh, going to be an interesting uh, season twenty, all things considered. Once again, the interesting being um, a, a, a very mild word in the mildest sense of um, being able to describe just exactly what's going to go down in season twenty. Because we've gotten you know through all of this, we've gotten through a couple of grudge matches, you know, a title bout, but now we get to the main event. Ms. Fan, take it away as we've reached the zenith, the peak of Let's Get Invisible. Um, yeah, uh, the, the, the main title match we have is indeed Ophidian taking on Dasher Hatfield, still defending the, uh, Grand Championship of Chikara for, uh, for his step-cousin-in-law, Mr. Touchdown. Uh, before the match, we see a video of Ophidian saying, well, whenever, uh, Chikara needs something from me, they need a trader in the Lucifer factory, they need someone to go undercover and in, infiltrate the Flood uh, when they need someone uh, for their Cybernetico teams or for to fight Beyond Wrestling or whatever they need, uh, then you all ask me. But when you need an interim champion, when you need someone to hold that title, nobody asks me. Nobody comes by and criticizes Dash Radfield for uh, losing um, a lot of the uh, the matches against Beyond Wrestling. Lost a uh, singles match to uh, Chris Dickinson a while back. Lost the King of Trios due to injury. Uh, and lost the Cybernetico, where he was the captain, so uh, not an invalid critique. Um, and yeah, basically just calling him out left and right. And uh, I thought, interesting, for one of the earlier matches on the show, we got uh, a bit of a foreshadowing, I think. Um, we had Dasher Hadfield on commentary, I think for the opening match, and <clears throat> definitely seemed to be a little bit grumpy about this. You know, so what do I have to do to, you know... Have people not not be questioning me all the time and not be coming after me like this. At the time, it seemed pretty valid. It wasn't really a, a big tip of the hat necessarily because, um, you know, Finian, uh, he was a little harsh in some of his critiques here. But, um, yeah, so you get all that going into the match. Um, very, very good match. Uh, I had a great time with it. You have Dash Hatfield getting the win, um, and maybe interestingly so because I, I noticed kind of late in the match – that Dasher Hatfield was here wearing the same elbow pad that uh, Mr. Touchdown uh, gave him uh, a few seasons ago that he would uh, load up with a metal pad, which would make it easy for Dasher to knock people out. And at the time, Dasher didn't know that he was doing it. He didn't know uh, that this was happening exactly. But I definitely noticed in this match, he seemed to knock out Ophidian uh, with an elbow shot. And, and Ophidian went down... Very, very, um, uh, I, I don't know what to say. He went down like a sag of bricks. You know, he really dropped when he got hit with that attack. Um, so you can't say there weren't some clues going into this because the big story after the match is Mr. Touchdown. I, I, I oh, want to say really ahead. quickly, sure. before we quite get there, yep. is that I know earlier in this season we actually did see Dasher Hatfield with a very similar 
elbow pad on when taking on, I believe, Juan Francisco de Coronado. At the time, I believe Bryce checked Bryce checked out that same elbow pad and declared that it was clean. He folded it inside out, I remember. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time, it seemed fine. And there yes. was no issues with it. There was no qualifications of it being, you know, potentially cheatsy. Nothing. The elbow pad at the time was fine. Mm-hmm. And in this match, I don't think the elbow pad was fine, which I think adds a uh, – not to uh, – pardon the pun, uh, Mr. Hatfield throws a, a curveball into a lot of things. But, um, I did think that – I definitely noticed that. But but continue with this, uh, this story in this match. It's really good stuff. Just, just everybody listen. Yeah, absolutely so. Um, so it all leads up after the match. Uh, Mr. Touchdown shows up. Great to see him. Walks to the ring and announces uh, thanks to Dasher for everything he's done. But uh, as of Monday, he's going to be cleared. He's going to be ready to return for the new season of Chikara and be champion. And um, Dasher, uh, he has the title. And uh, Mr. Touchdown goes to take it. Seems like he's going to take it away, but... Dasher yanks him back and floors Mr. Touchdown, a thing that I think that uh, a lot of us never thought that we would see after, what, probably 11 or 12 years of Dasher Hatfield being uh, about the most uh, Ricky Steamboatish guy that you could maybe point to in modern wrestling, um, taking this action, this, this uh, betrayal, of, of the man who chose him to represent him while injured as the world champion, just lays him out in the middle of the ring, takes the title, goes to the back, but before he does, yells at his son, Boomer Hatfield Jr., and makes him come along. Oh, to what end, I don't know, but uh, wow, there's a lot of stuff going into this, and it's really, really got me interested. I, I love... The characters with Chikara and how uh, something like this can really just be so meaningful, and I, I absolutely love it. It's great. Indeed, I think the uh, it wasn't that that uh, Dasher called him. He apparently called him earlier, shortly after the initial laying out of uh, of Mister Touchdown. But as he walked to the back and he went to leave, he noticed that his son hadn't come. He hadn't followed him, so he turns back around. He says, "Junior." I said now, cutting through the entire audience, everyone hearing him, and Boomer sitting there forced to make the tough decision, and eventually, even with all the fans watching and booing, even with Bryce um, staring at him, you know, very confused and saddened and shocked, watching as Boomer walks away with with his father Dasher into the back, and it was a genuinely shocking sight. Um, I had said uh, beforehand that I had kind of uh, both hoped and thought that essentially what would end up happening would be that Dasher would ignore these sorts of, you know, sorts of calls and would eventually, you know, end up taking on Mr. Touchdown when he got healthy and, you know, just very willingly eventually give him the title back and that there would be no major betrayal and it would be sort of a nice subversion to what we are usually used to. But somehow, some way... Chikara subverts the subversion and ends up having him, um, you know, turn seemingly on Mr. Touchdown and refuse to give him the title. And 
I I have to say, part of me wishes this had been a little bit more focused on because I think um, you know a lot of Ophidian's complaints were really the uh, the big foreshadowing that he uh, you know talked about Thasher not really deserving to be champion that he was simply given the belt when he shouldn't have been he didn't have the points necessary to um, contend for the title at the time when he was you know named interim grand champion uh, he you know brought forth a just a lot of genuinely fairly valid fairly you know appropriate complaints about this situation and with dasher on commentary in the first match um, you know, voicing his complaints about this. You know, I've I've defended this title I think three or four times now. I've beaten guys, you know, very handily. You know, I've proven my worth to Chikara. You know, I should. You know, at one point he actually says that he doesn't want to be considered the interim grand champion. At one point, do I stop being considered the interim champion and just start being considered the outright champion? And I don't know if you noticed this during the uh, the introductions of the match. But uh, when Preston Blathers announces uh, Dasher as the interim grand champion of Chikara, he kind of gives him this side-eye look, like he is not approving of the title he was just, you know, called, he was just given. Mm. So there was, you know, a lot of hints that Dasher was just not, you know, happy with the idea that people weren't either taking him seriously as champion, weren't appreciating him being champion, um, didn't think he deserved to be a champion, and the fact that he just he didn't want to be interim grand champion. He's done so much for Jakar, he's done so much for this title, um, he, he shouldn't be considered, at least in his mind, the simply interim champion holding this belt for someone else. He genuinely thinks he deserves to be just the outright grand champion, and I think he's got a lot of good validity in that respect. Um, and it, it just makes for an intriguing, um, interesting, and just super unique, uh, especially for Dasher Hatfield, who, as we've said, typically always just been clean cut, always known to just do the right thing. Um, you know, this is a guy who... You know, during the Challenge of the Mortals, when he found out he was inadvertently cheating, you know, to take guys out with that loaded pad, disqualified his entire team. The team he put together, the team that was on the verge, I believe, of making the finals of the Challenge of the Immortals, and was so upset at, at, at this, you know, at this betrayal of his character, as done by Mr. Touchdown, that he disqualified his entire team from the challenge of the immortals because this is a guy who is now 99% of the time just always been you know a guy who has very strong morals very strong convictions and is always looking to do what he believes is the right thing the honorable thing the correct thing and then he comes to a crossroads where he is you know, he gets to hold the grand championship, but it's not really his to hold. It belongs to his step cousin in law, and no matter how he defends the title, no matter who he beats, no matter how he beats them, it's never going to be his title. It's always going to technically belong to Mr. Touchdown, Mark Angelicetti. So no matter how much effort he puts in, it's just, it's not his title, technically. And that seemingly just drove him to a point where between Ophidian's words about him not being worthy of it, 
between, you know, the fact that, you know, he has been called on to do so much for Chikara, not only be interim grand champion, he's read, he's led several cybernetico teams up to this point, you know, he's, he's got a lot of backing in Chikara, and yet still, people apparently don't believe in him, people don't trust him, people don't view him as being properly, you know, the face of Chikara, the grand champion of Chikara, and that ate him up so much. That bothered him, that upset him so much that in a moment he went from being the guy who would always do the right thing, who was always mostly selfless in his ways, indulged one time in a selfless or a selfish action and refused to give up the title to his step cousin in law and the technical quote unquote rightful champion in Mark Angelicetti. Like, to me, that is just it, – it's super interesting. It's just – it's super engaging, and it makes for a very, very just high-stakes season 20 off the bat because you not only have to worry about the relationship between Dasher and Touchdown, but Boomer's getting involved in this as well, You know, being forced to escort his dad to the back here. You know, so how is that going to affect him? How is that going to affect the overall standing of Chikara? Dasher Hatfield was, by all intents and purposes, one of the leaders of the Chikara locker room, especially the Technico locker room. A guy who was not only the grand champion, but once again, led several Cybernetico teams. And even though he lost several matches to Beyond, was kind of the guy at the helm of the, you know, Chikara versus Beyond thing. You know, He's just, once again, he's always been that righteous, upstanding guy who, you know, really represented all the really good aspects of Chikara. And in just one fell swoop, it seems like maybe he's, he's going away from that. You know, what is that going to do to the locker room? What's that going to do to a guy like, you know, you know, what, what is the, is the colony going to have to step up? What is this going to do to Ophidian? What is this going to do to Princess Kimberly? Um, and the other interesting aspect of this, in my opinion, what is this going to do to Juan Francisco de Coronado, the guy who has been always trying to get under the skin of uh, of Dasher and has always been convinced that Dasher was a cheater, that Dasher was a fake? Um, you know, how is he going to respond and react to all of this? Um, just in an, in a moment, in an instant. One question was answered, and then many more questions were asked, all by Dasher Hatfield refusing to give the title back to his step-cousin-in-law, and that means there's just a lot of potential for Season 20. I cannot wait for next year already. Chikara has already got me hooked. They were going to have me hooked anyway, because it's Chikara. But now this is a super just interesting um, like I said, a high stakes uh, story here between the uh, the the two rightful quote unquote champions of Chikara, uh, Dasher Hatfield, the man who has held the quote unquote interim grand championship for as long as Mr. Touchdown has been injured, and Mr. Touchdown coming back off that injury, looking to reclaim his title. It's just it's remarkable, it's super engaging, and I cannot wait for the. Uh, the season debut of season 20 next year for Chikara. I am stoked. Well said. I don't know what I can even uh, add to that. So 
Oh man, yeah, I'm I'm super stoked as well. I think uh, it's going to be an awesome storyline. It's going to be an excellent season of Shikara. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like you coming in. I uh, I didn't think Dash would return. I didn't want him to turn necessarily, uh, but when you tell the story really well, you know, uh, now I'm I'm totally invested. Um, mm-hmm. I think if there's anybody who maybe can uh, can make a case. For why he's doing what he's doing, who can perhaps uh, tap into something that's a little bit self-righteous. Uh, I think it's Dasher, you know? So uh, we'll see. We'll see what he comes up with in the new season. But uh, we have far from heard the last of this. Um, can't wait to see where they go with it. Huh, I'll just... Uh... I, every, every few shows, I feel like, once we get into Shikara and they do some awesome stuff, to me it always bears mentioning. Um, I know a lot of people have sort of gone away from Shikara over the last few years. I know you know people were kind of turned away with that uh, the old shutdown angle and you know a lot of the decisions made after that. But Shikara, once again, just really, really good. Really great roster, really great storytelling, just really good at pretty much every aspect of the game of, you know, putting out professional wrestling shows still deserves your attention, still deserves your following. And I think this show had a lot of good examples as to why in season 20, uh, based on a lot of what we saw here at Let's Get Invisible, is uh, is setting up to just be phenomenal. So if you're not on the Chikara hype train, if you've, you know, you're on it before, but you're not now, I implore you, ChikaraPro.com, ChikaraTopia.com, get back in the mix car is about to blow your minds once again i get that feeling Chikara rocks love their season finale can't wait for more in season 20 and hopefully if you're listening you're interested and invested too and if not once again chikarapro.com chikaratopia.com get back on it uh yeah no absolutely anybody uh who's off um yeah, I, you're nuts, honestly. Like, I don't know what you're doing out there. Um, I, I, I don't get you. I don't understand you. But uh, we can be friends because if you go watch some Chikara, you're going to like it. Like, I, I really think so. But um, all right. Cool. So that, that takes us through all of the uh, Chikara. That takes us through finale. We got a few matches to cover. First from WXW. Let's talk about a few matches here. Uh, first up go uh, a little far back, a couple matches from uh, their stop in London all the way back in March. Uh, first, to dig up a, uh, a new face, new face of the week in Jack Sexsmith making a uh, guest appearance to take on Alexander James, um, who is uh, somebody we kind of disagree about, apparently, in terms of how interesting he may or may not be. Um, Jack Sexsmith, uh, he seemed fun. Didn't necessarily stand out to be that much, but I uh, wouldn't mind seeing more of him. I think he may be the partner of David Starr, um, but I'm not sure of that either. Uh, if he is good for him, if not, that's fine as well. Uh, I don't claim to be uh, an expert on such things. Um, Alexander James, you know, I keep giving him chances, and, like, there's nothing exactly wrong with him, but I just can't get into him. Like, his look... It's not very memorable. He doesn't seem very charismatic. He wrestles fine, but not, like, in any particular way that I really remember. Like, I guess he's a bit of a technician, but I don't know. Just nothing nothing really stands out to me about the guy. So this was a fine match. He was perfectly okay, but uh, it didn't leave a big impression on me. So 
Uh, I can say I've seen Jack Sexsmith now. Uh, I can say I gave Alexander James another chance now. I, I don't know if either one necessarily really uh, took me by storm here. Um, to me, that's actually kind of weird, at least on Alexander James, um, specifically because I thought this was a really good showing for him, yeah. bar one extended sequence towards the end. I thought in this particular <laughs> match, he looked um, he looked particularly vicious. He looked particularly on game here in this match. I thought um, at one point he takes out Jack Sexsmith with a nasty running European uppercut, which nearly took the man's head off. And, you know, in general, I'd say for about 80% of this match, looked, you know, uh, maybe not necessarily spectacular in the way a guy like Ilya Dragunov or Walter or Bad Bones or Absolute Andy or Bobby Guns might look spectacular. But I was really digging his work. I was really into it in this match. I thought Jackson X Smith made a nice uh, foil for him in here. The one, uh, I'd say, fairly big quibble I have about this match mm-hmm. is right towards the end of it. Um, Alexander James was in a position where he could have uh, put away uh, Jack Sexsmith and spent, what, what would your estimate be, 30 seconds, 20 seconds, 45 seconds, where he baby. just basically – he just basically held Jack Sexsmith around and like taunted and like spun around in a circle multiple times trying to elicit a response from the crowd and basically brought the match to a screeching halt. And it was very unfortunate because up until that point, I thought he was doing really well. And then that happened and it was like, hmm, not uh, not sure you had an idea for what you wanted to do here. Not sure what was going on, but it, it, it wasn't great. And it kind of brought the match down, unfortunately, because up to that point, I thought both have wrestled a, a, a fine match. And I was actually impressed, particularly with Alexander James, um, a guy who I, I'd say I like. I don't love, but I like. I think I like him a lot more than a Miz fan does at the very least. Clearly. And have been uh, just really enjoying this match up until that point. And then, yeah, it was it was not great. Overall, I'd say the match was fine. And like Miz fan said, I did think this was a, uh, a really solid performance for Alexander James for the most part until we got to that just long, delayed taunting section, which... Um, quite frankly, sucked. <laughs> uh, yep, yep. I um, I stand by my not really a fan of Alexander James because I feel like I feel like that's just emblematic of what I see a lot of him. Like he kind of swaggers around or tries to, like like he's got this like um, uh, vibe around him. He he acts like you know he's already like this. Um, dug in like uh over heel guy but i just like i just don't see it like he's just a bit obnoxious at worst um and there's nothing really dislikable about him except that yeah sometimes he does these things which are just not really very enjoyable so i don't know i'm not i'm not into alexander james i'll, I'll probably keep giving him shots if wxw keeps booking him just because i love wxw but uh He's probably one of the least interesting guys on the roster to me. And I, and I think that's fine. I think that's that that's fair. Not only are we – there's just going to be guys who you don't really connect with, you don't really click with. Um, while I like Alexander James well enough, like I said, I don't love him. And, you know, I'm not necessarily going to go completely too bad for the guy just to be like, yeah, this guy is because, – because at the end of the day, like I said, I like him, but he's he's not on that upper echelon tier 
of like WXW talents and probably probably never will be even though I enjoy him so it is what it is it is what it is for Alexander James the Prince of Pro indeed indeed um, we also covered the main event of this show which um, I don't know about you but this match oh wow I love this match this is probably a match of the year contender yeah I was about to say this might be a very solid match of the year contender out of this show out of this set really delivered and um, it's been on my radar for a while the match is uh, Walter versus Ilya Dragunov versus David Starr versus Travis Banks and I'll admit I sort of held off because I've really kind of fallen off on Travis Banks uh, from last year I, I feel like I've seen him in quite a few matches where he didn't really do anything for me um, so I don't know. I just, uh, I wasn't sure I wanted to check it out, even though I love the other three guys in the match, but I figured, you know, we're getting close to the end of the year. Why not check it out? And man, I'm really glad I did. Um, cause it, I, it's, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I just, just really quickly. I think this match reminded me of the things that I really, really loved yes. about Travis Banks. Same. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if I'm as high on him as I used to be, but I'm definitely higher on him now than I was before I watched this. Because, yeah, I really remembered how great he was at just being the, this this plucky dude who could take, like, huge offense and keep coming back and be really charismatic and not this weird, like, horrible heel turn fit that progress, like, ran into the ground with him. Um, so, yeah, uh, just if you book Travis Banks to do what he's good at, he's probably going to be really good at it. Um, you, you just kind of have to put him in the right situation, I guess, where he's being mauled by a Walter or a Keith Lee or somebody, and he can sort of come back against that and uh, and lean into what makes him impressive. So, yeah, th- this this was the, the, the good version of Travis Banks for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, not to discredit anybody else in this match, because this match also contains... David Starr, Walter, and Ilya Dragunov, who were mm. all on their A-plus game in this match. I think everybody was just doing tremendous work, uh, both you know, great stuff in the ring, great stuff on the outside of the ring as well. Just, just a lot of just, just tremendous wrestling in this match. Um, you know, part of the story ends up being the three guys have to kind of work together to overcome Walter at several points because Walter. You know, just when it looks like, you know, one of the other three guys might, you know, be gearing up to win the match, might be gearing up to sort of get into that fourth gear to, you know, get to that point. Suddenly Walter comes in and everybody gets a chop. Everybody gets a big boot. Everybody gets a lariat. Everybody gets locked in a sleeper hold, you know, and just, you know, he just brings the match to a grinding halt while he just dominates these dudes. And at one point, all three of them have to go, we can't keep beating up on each other while this guy is here. So we got to take him out. Um, you know, that, that leads into some interesting stuff, uh, sort of towards the midpoint later in the match. Um, once again, just everybody on their A game, Walter's throwing chops and big boots, Ilya Dragunov, um, you know, you brought up, you know, uh, Travis Banks, you know, being his best when he's sort of a plucky underdog who can take shots and, you know, still keep coming, still be super charismatic and super intense, um, that's basically – that's also the uh, – that's what uh, – honestly, both uh, WXW David Starr and Ilya Dragunov are also really good at, and I think both of them mm-hmm. got opportunities to show that off. Um, yeah, you know, you had three really – four really good just 
incredible talents in the ring. I think all four used, you know, to the best of their ability in this match, all working in the ways that really favor them. And it just led to an incredibly physical, intense, fun, wild, high-octane match. And I just absolutely loved it. So this was this was a good one. Um, I do love, you know, more hectic matches. I'm a big fan of, like, you know, six-man tags, the wild tag team matches. You know, for me, oftentimes, you put more people in the ring, you're going to get really good results. And I think this was a tremendous example of... Of that here, just just love this match two bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. Um, and I'll just say, I think Walter uh, elevates everybody in this match. He, he elevates mm-hmm. Ilya. He really elevates David Starr. And uh, it's not surprising he really elevates Travis Banks too, especially in this scenario. Um, love this. Uh, Walter pins David Starr to finish this one off. Um, yeah, yeah. Another match of the year contender from WXW, and it's uh, it's been a really incredible year for the promotion, I think. Actually, I do have to correct you. Ilya pins David oh, Starr yes, you're so to right. win this match because this, uh, <laughs> just to uh, quickly clarify the uh, story of this match, right, as it ends, uh, apparently it was supposed to be, I think it was Walter versus Travis Banks, uh, but then David Starr said he wanted in, and then Ilya said he wanted in, so we end up with this, uh, this great sort of thrown-together four-way match that ends up being a match of the year contender. So great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, extremely good stuff here. Couldn't agree more. Um, we move on uh, to the June 27th episode of Shotgun, a uh, nice weird little match here that I wanted to see because when we watched Shortcut to the Top, there was one person in particular who I was introduced to during the match that I thought, I really want to see more of this guy. And that guy is Prince Ahura, who is this weird, wiry, little shoeless guy who bumps like the king of the world, the king of bumping. And I think I love him. I think I love this weird little man. Um, He is here wrestling Bobby Guns, another guy that I love. Uh, it's a very short match, but it's a very fun match, and uh, I'm, I'm glad I took the time to watch it. Prince Ahura, super cool. I want to see a lot more of the guy. Yes, and uh, I don't know if you saw this, but I, uh, one of the shotguns we watched, we actually saw, um, at least I actually saw, how this uh, match came together. Um, Bobby Guns is doing his uh, smoking break show outside uh, before the uh, the semifinals and finals of that uh, shotgun uh, title contendership tournament that ended with uh, Marius Alani versus Lucky Kid. Um, Bobby Guns is sitting there, you know, just talking out about all four guys in the semifinals and saying he can ultimately beat all four of them, so it doesn't matter who gets into the finals because he's going to win. When uh, Prince Ahura walks by and basically, you know, inadvertently disrupts Bobby Guns. Because he's very upset about this and, you know, insults him and eventually challenges him to a non-title match, which Prince Ahura is just like, okay, dude, that's that's great. I guess I'll wrestle you then and leads into this match. And um, as you said, Prince Ahura is just he, I, I think he's a fun wrestler overall. But my word, he is BB Hulk tier when it comes to just taking a ridiculously awesome, good looking bumps mm-hmm. um he just he's or, uh he's just great he's you know he's he's in that bb hulk jesse goddard's tier of making people just look phenomenal um against them and he really did that here for bobby guns he did get in his own offense he did get in his own stuff but um this is really the bobby gun show <laughs> featuring uh prince ahura's 
um, offensive taking abilities. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it was a fun time. It was a very fun time. Absolutely. I'm really glad I watched this. Prince Ahura, cool guy to keep an eye out for. Uh, as you said, mostly just bumping around and being pretzeled around and uh, all sorts of fun stuff. But you know what? Sometimes that's uh, just what you're good at. And uh, I-, I have no problem seeing guys uh, do stuff like that in the right situation. So, uh, all right, moving on. We got uh, from the recent Shotgun Live Tour in Hamburg, just on uh, November 23rd, a nice tag team match. And I got to tell you, I was really excited about this when I saw it come up. Glad we had the chance to see it. Uh, it is the Arrows of Hungary, who I have loved the very few times we have seen them. Uh, Icarus and Dover. No, not that Icarus, a different one. Um, taking on JFK, Francis Kasman and Jay Skillet, who are absolutely also becoming one of my favorite acts um, in the uh, in the business, really. Like, they're, they're just a wonderful tag team. They, they seem to get better every time I see them. Um, yeah, I don't know about you, but... This match, it, it couldn't have been more than 10 minutes, probably less, but I really loved it. Um, the Arrows of Hungary are awesome. They're ridiculously strong. They they could do these crazy feats of strength. At one point, Dover is, like, carrying both guys around all by himself. Uh, we're told on commentary he's got a face like an axe murderer, and they're not wrong. Um, <laughs> you, you have Jay Skillet and Francis Kasman. i got to say, Francis Kasman. Um, man, he, he may be destined to become a huge star because he is charismatic as all get out. Um, I love one spot in the match where, uh, the, the arrows are going to like, uh, knee both sides of the head of Jay Skillet and Caspin dramatically shoves him out of the way and he's all happy. And then he realizes, oops, now I'm in the spot and his head is immediately crushed and just compacted into a two dimensional object. Um, Man, there's so much stuff I love in this match. Uh, it was great. Like, they, they need to have, like, uh, like uh, a whole series of matches, and they need to go twice as long, and they need to have all sorts of great stuff happen, because I'm really loving this. Uh, they have great chemistry. I want to see more. Yes, indeed. First off, just very glad to be able to see the Arrows of Hungary again. They're just two uh, phenomenal talents, a tag team that I hadn't really heard much of until we uh, – Watch them. Uh, where was it? Revfro. It was Revfro, uh, I think. Yeah, with Gideon yes. Gray, who I also love. Yes, so. and they 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 captured my imagination. Then uh, they apparently made. I don't know if they're uh, WXW regulars or WXW occasional touring guys. I don't know what they are, but I'm very glad to see them in WXW, um, looking as awesome as they did then. Um, they apparently have got these like really awesome like devil troll horned masks that they wear to the ring um they're just two physically imposing dudes they rule at tag team wrestling they're really fun to watch um so i'm glad to see them around and doing stuff in wxw and of course jfk just just one of the best tag acts in the uh professional wrestling world right now the two of them have tremendous chemistry individually uh jay skill and francis casman they have great uh, chemistry and uh, charisma um, as a tag team, they're just they're just so obnoxious and yet so talented. Um, and this once again, just not not a long match by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, really jam packed with a lot of good stuff. Um, I don't remember if it was Icarus or Dover, but yeah, one of them was holding both members of JFK uh, at the same time and power slammed both of them into the mat at once, which was great. Um, 
yeah, this this was a really just fun tag team match that ends when JFK does what they do best and steals a victory away by uh, uh, clipping uh, one arrow of Hungary while he was holding uh, Jay's skillet and then holds the legs down while the referee can't see for a pinfall allowing JFK to win this match. Um, yeah, just, just, you know, I love both of these tag teams, uh, and I love this match. It was good stuff. Good time. Absolutely so. Just, just great. Um, like I said, I don't want to see a whole bunch more matches like this. Um, I gotta see it. It's gonna be great. Oh, man. Speaking of, uh, our last two matches are from the, uh, the Road to Anniversary show, the most recent release from November 24th, uh, as we gear up to the 18th, I believe 18th anniversary of yes. WXW, which is our last uh, show of the year. Um, but before we get there, we do have a, a couple of little backstage scenes. I'm just going to uh, highlight them first. Um, the first one, we have JFK standing backstage, um, lamenting that they are not uh, in the Hall of Fame in Germany yet. Francis Caspin says in America, it would have already happened because they, they, they just know more there. They're more on the ball. Um, they are confronted by a team that I, in my notes, called Unrise, which is probably stupid, but uh, it's Tarkin Aslan, the Mac, uh, Dumb Mac, I should say, and um, and Marius Al-Ani. And uh, I gotta say, Tarkin Aslan has really been killing it as an evil dude. Uh, he calls himself the Lion King and uh, reveals that he and Demac are going to be in the tag gauntlet, which uh, JFK are going to have to defend their WXW tag titles uh, in very soon. Uh, JFK does kind of warily shake Tarkin's hand, and I don't know quite what to make of that, but uh, it was an interesting little segment with some character stuff going on. Mm-hmm. I actually I, I ended up missing oh, uh, yeah. some of these segments here. Uh, I did see some other segments instead. Um, I don't know if I just didn't see the, uh, the timestamps or didn't pay attention to them, but, uh, there was a, a, a few things, uh, throughout this show that are kind of, uh, you know, set up 18th anniversary. And, uh, I think we'll get to them. Um, um, we we're certainly going to get to a few of them probably next, but, um, yeah, there's just some, uh, interesting stuff here. Don't know what to make of JFK shaking the hand of the leader of fake rise or new rise or unrise, whatever you want to call them. Um, Tarkin Aslan, but yeah, Tarkin has been killing it as a, uh, as an evil dude, as the head of this, uh, this new group here. So he's, he's been, uh, just, just really charismatic. Love seeing him anytime he gets on the microphone. Absolutely so. So yeah, interesting little segment. Uh, we'll see if anything comes of it. Also on the show, we have uh, JFK again backstage. They're just chilling and uh, making fun of the other teams in the gauntlet. Um, and uh, they are very charming, and they are actually adorable, and I love them even more after <laughs> seeing this segment. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just really into JFK right now. They're, they're really doing it for me. They just have a lot of good chemistry together. Yes, they're just, yes. they're a perfect partnership, it seems like. And I, I, I enjoy seeing them, you know, backstage in the ring. They just really get along. You get a really good sense of camaraderie and appreciation from the two of them, which makes their, you know, in-ring work also so good. The two of them both just equally as conniving, as annoying, as irritating as the other one. And it just makes, just makes for a great, uh, a tag team here. So really like JFK. 
really like what they've been doing. Um, just, just love their work. Love their work. Indeed, indeed. Uh, all right, moving on uh, more to the matches themselves. The first match we want to talk about is Lucky Kid taking on Timothy Thatcher in a rematch from the uh, first round of 16 Karat Gold. I believe it was yes. the first round. Um, Might have been the... Oh, I don't first remember how second. far Lucky Kid matter. got. First yeah, or second. But before I get there, I do actually want to quickly talk about uh, some of the segments I watched really quickly. Because uh, yeah. one of them actually involves uh, Lucky Kid. Uh, backstage being interviewed by Tommy. I don't remember what his last name is, but the sort of ring announcer for uh, yeah. uh, the ring announcer for WXW, uh, who just holds a, a quick little interview with him. You know, Tad asks him. You know, he's going into this match with Timothy Thatcher. You know, give some thoughts on this. Uh, f- the first thing he actually focuses on does a uh, lucky kid is you know this sort of new rise group. You know, he thought he was done with Tarkin Aslan. Um, he thought he was going to become shotgun champion and, you know, Demac showed up and that just wasn't, you know, that wasn't right. That wasn't cool. That wasn't good. Um, so right now he's in a place, uh, you know, a really hectic place where he has no idea what's going on. Um, he's got his mind, you know, kind of in a lot of places. Tommy proceeds to sort of ask him, you know, does this mean you're not going to have your mind focused on Timothy Thatcher here? This is a match people have been looking forward to. Timothy's a, a really dangerous opponent are you you know too distracted to be able to focus on timothy thatcher and in what i thought was a really cool moment he just kind of sat there he paused took a breath just kind of thought about it and he said i always go out there and do my best tommy that was it this last line and it just sort of gave you i think a really good insight to lucky kid you know you normally just kind of see him as this wild child this you know wild you know tongue sticking out um, lunatic almost of WXW, but you know you, you got a really like sort of poignant stoic moment from him. You know he's you know been attacked on all sides basically with this rise stuff, and you know it, it's you know bothering him, it's you know affecting him. But even even still, even despite all of that, he's going to come out. He knows he's got Timothy Thatcher. He's not overlooking him. He's trying not to overlook him, and he's going to come out and just. Do what he always does, which is do his best. And I just thought that was a really cool uh, quick interview there from Lucky Kid, which is actually followed up by a, uh, a video of New Rise. Tarkin Aslan, Demac, and Lucky uh, Demac and Marius Alani all hanging out backstage while uh, Tarkin basically says, you know, that he was always the leader of Rise. You know, it wasn't Chris Colin, wasn't Pete Bouncer, wasn't Bad Bones. It's always Tarkin. It was always his idea. He got rid of all those losers and brought in two guys who were hungry because, you know, the best hunters, the best hunters, the ones who are going to strike the fiercest and, you know, get the most results are going to be the hungriest hunters. And he has that in Marius Alani and Demac. They're going to uh, retain the shotgun championship. They're going to win the tag team titles and they're going to continue um, you know, their run of dominance, you know, replacing the losers of past rise which ends with Demac doing the famous Versindrise uh, catchphrase and taunt with the fingers extended. So a, a, a few cool things leading right into uh, probably one of my favorite matches on this set overall. Very hard considering all the matches we have on here, but a really good match between Lucky Kid and Timothy Thatcher. Huh, okay, all right, we have a slightly differing opinion here. Um, I just think oh, really? this was a very oh, no. good match. I didn't 
really think it was one of the best on the set. Um, I don't know. Like, I really like Lucky Kid, and I really like Timothy Thatcher. I don't know if their styles mesh the best of anyone I've seen. Um, and uh, I don't know. Like, maybe I guess that's just my take, uh, because uh, if it worked for you, then um, clearly there's something to it. Uh, it is very good. Um, I just, uh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not feeling the chemistry completely between these two that would put them in that, that really top tier place. Uh, very good match, but maybe you can, uh, uh, articulate what, uh, what put it in that top level for you. Um, well, for one thing, I think I actually, uh, appreciate the sort of styles clash that they bring to the ring against one another. Um, maybe they don't necessarily quote unquote mesh, but I thought they did a really good job sort of getting their stuff to work together regardless and kind of having that clash of styles between one another. There was just a couple of, um, to me, this was just a more focused lucky kid in this match. And that's what really stood out for me. You know what Timothy Thatcher is going to do. He's going to come in there with his laser like focus his uh, you know, roughneck attitude and ability and, you know, beat up on guys. This was not the sort of, you know, happy-go-lucky, silly, lucky kid we have seen in the past. This was really a more stoic, a more focused lucky kid at one point doing his his regular, you know, run into the ropes and bounce off of it with the guy on the outside. But instead of doing his regular, you know, handshaking, you know, sit-down taunt to uh, corral the guy into the ring, he, you know, shrugs his shoulders and says, you know, forget this, and dives out onto Timothy Thatcher. And the last time we saw him do that was when he was taking on Marius Alani for the shotgun title. So that, you know, already said this is a more serious lucky kid. This is a more focused lucky kid, a lucky kid who wants to leave an actual impression and beat somebody instead of simply being loved as, you know, sort of an underdog who tries really hard. He put some effort in here. I thought the two of them were particularly vicious uh, with one another several times, you know, Lucky Kid just throwing hard strikes out there on Timothy Thatcher, you know, really going toe-to-toe with a guy who is not easy to go toe-to-toe with, a guy who literally just came off a victory over Walter not too long ago, and I thought Lucky Kid did an admirable job trying to bring the fight to him. Um, it was just, you know, I thought the two were very physical with one another, I thought they wrestled uh, really well. Um, and in the end, unfortunately for Lucky Kid, despite a couple of really close falls there towards the end, at one point he manages to hit his sit-out powerbomb on Timothy Thatcher. He uh, catches him a few times with some surprise stuff and looks like he might pick up the victory. Doesn't happen for him, unfortunately, as Timothy Thatcher catches him with the Fujiwara armbar after he attempts to – after Lucky Kid, I should say, attempts to do his uh, handspring back elbow, catches him, locks him in the Fujiwara – and just before he can reach the ropes, uh, Timmy turns it into his uh, sort of bridging pin that he's got and pins down Lucky Kid 1, 2, 3. Um, yeah, it, I thought a really good match, a really enjoyable match. Um, and I thought this was a great showing for Lucky Kid. Um, I, this was just, like I said, it, it felt like a different Lucky Kid than usual. A guy who was, you know, focused on doing some sort of of damage, who was focused on accomplishing something more than simply being, you know, lucky kid, simply being the guy everybody loves because he's kind of a wild card. He seemed focused, he seemed ready, he seemed game, and he wrestled a really solid, a really good match here, in my opinion, against Timothy Thatcher. Just in the end, 
it, it's it's Timothy Thatcher. He's gonna win. He's gonna find a way to win. He's gonna catch you, and just needs you know three seconds to be able to either make you tap out or pin your mat or pin your shoulders to the mat. And that's exactly what he did to Lucky Kid. And yeah, I was just I was really into this one. Really enjoyed it. Oh, fair enough. Um, I, I really did enjoy it as well. Uh, maybe not quite as much as you did, um, but that's uh, that's perfectly fine. It's some good stuff here. So, yes, Thatcher gets the win. Also, um, before the match, uh, before those promos that you mentioned, we also saw him inviting uh, Veit Mueller to be in the corner of Ringkampf when they take on British Strong Style. Uh, yes, yes. The anniversary, so... Uh, Mike Mueller, a guy that we're definitely going to have to check out. He's, he's been mentioned a couple of times, um, and uh, I think uh, we're just going to have to see him for ourselves. I'm sure he was in shortcut to the top. I have trouble placing him off the top of my head, but uh, we will uh, we will see if we get a chance to see him before the end of the year here. I have seen him in some uh, outside-of-set watchings. Um, don't quite have the best uh, opinion or experience with him yet. I think I've only seen him, like, Maybe once or twice at a literal like maximum. Right. Um, it's more of a, it's uh, kind of a catch wrestler. He's supposed to be. He's kind of a big sort of throwback, old school style sort of guy. I think I watched him wrestle uh, Julian Pace once. Um, he's I I just don't really have a whole lot to say about Vice Mueller, but I do like his relationship with uh, Timothy Thatcher that we've seen. He seems to be a sort of either a student or want to be student of Ring Kampf. Has been really getting uh, close to uh, a guy who seems to be his sort of protege or mentor in Timothy Thatcher. So I just, uh, for these promos, these segments we've seen, I just kind of appreciate that aspect in particular. So definitely want to see more of uh, Veit Mueller in the future because he seems like he's being set up for something at the very least. Absolutely. Yep. Very interested in the guy. WXW tends to elevate uh, really good talent. So I, uh, I really want to see what he's got there. Um, all right, yeah. Uh, last but definitely not least, we have the six-man tag main event of Road to Anniversary. It's Absolute Andy and uh, JFK team against Ilya Dragunov and the Arrows of Hungary. Um, and uh, this is another awesome match. Really enjoyed it. Um, the Arrows, man, for real, these guys are just phenomenal in my eyes. They, they were doing dives. They were doing power spots. They seemed like they could do just about everything. If anything, I'd say they were the highlight of this match, and that's saying a lot, because there are some tremendously good people in this match. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just want to quickly say, Chikara, if you're listening to this, um, the Arrows of Hungary and Ilya Dragunov for the next King of Trios, please. <laughs> and also on that note, JFK and Absolute Andy for King of Trios as well. I was um, going to say, somebody from WXW. Uh, yes, please. Take your pick. You know, there's a lot of great ones out there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the Arrows of Hungary, I think, as you mentioned, the clear stars uh, in this match. They just bring something different to the table, something that just stands out, even amongst guys like JFK, Absolute Andy, and Ilya Dragunov. They managed to stand out and make themselves be a notable team. Um, a lot of this match revolved around JFK and Absolute Andy cheating and making blind tags while the referee wasn't paying attention, trying to take advantage of uh, everybody and everything, the hectic action of a six-man tag match. Um, and eventually it would come to bite them in the butts because uh, the Arrows of Hungary and uh, Ilya, not really guys you can uh, afford to 
irritate and anger for long periods of time, because they just will come back and attempt to demolish you. And demolish them, they did. I think the uh, end of the match ends up being the Arrows of Hungry kind of clear everybody out. He dives to the floor. One of them does a uh, front flip Sinton. The other one does a moonsault, if I recall correctly, which was a uh, beautiful piece of work. Uh, eventually, it comes down to Andy and Ilya. Andy goes for an F5, doesn't manage to hit it. Ilya does hit the Torpedo Moscow in a big, big flashy moment and ends up pinning Absolute Andy to win this six-man tag. And it was a great time. Just, once again, the Arrows of Hungary were just really, really good. Just really good, as Miss Fan said. Basically good at anything and everything. You know, they're just phenomenal talents. Loved seeing them here. Um, they did a great job here. You know, Dragonoff looked great. JFK is JFK. They're always good. Absolute Andy is Absolute Andy. He's always really good. And just, just all in all, just really, really incredible stuff from this, uh, from this match. Good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that wraps up our WXW coverage. Definitely going to try to bring some more to you uh, before the end of the year. I don't know what our uh, broadcasting schedule is going to look like uh, over the holidays, but yeah, you definitely have not heard the last of this. Uh, WXW going real strong into the end of the year and into 2019 and probably going to be my promotion of the year. I'll just say up front, um, but we'll see when we get to some end of the year stuff. Um, all right, yeah, last and definitely not least, got a few matches from Bar Wrestling, that super fun uh, Southern California promotion that we like to talk about every now and then. My friend, let's jump right into it. Um, so covering uh, three shows, basically, a couple selected matches from these shows. First one, November 1st, uh, Day of the Undead. Um, and the uh, first match at the very start of the show is Luchasaurus. Taking on a guy that I'm really interested to see more of, Douglas James. Now, Douglas James is a guy that I think I have the potential to really, really like a lot. He looks really good at the start of this. He launches himself down on Luchasaurus, basically throwing everything he's got at the, the big dinosaur to take him down. However, I believe this match ends prematurely with an injury to Douglas James. Um, sort of it, a it, it does. Yeah, I, uh, I, I am not surprised to hear that. Yes, um, it seems a, a Spanish fly goes awry. It was a, a, a great theoretical spot, because if uh, Luchasaurus had managed to complete a uh, full-blown uh, standing Spanish fly to a running Douglas James, um, that might have been like just a sort of breathtaking moment of the year contender, because, oh my God, could you imagine? Um, unfortunately, I don't know what quite occurred with Douglas James's jump into that spot, but he uh, essentially comes down on his leg, it seems, pretty badly. You can see him uh, tapping on it. You can see him uh, very much in pain. Luchasaurus goes to cover him. The ref calls, you know, counts and calls for a three, even though it might not have been. Who knows? But, yeah, it's very clear Douglas James suffers an injury uh, during this match, which is a shame because, kind of like you, I was really digging – uh, what I have seen from Douglas James in this match. He seemed mm -hmm. super athletic. He seemed super on point. He's standing up there very admirably against Luchasaurus. Um, yeah, this match was shaping up to be something really cool, really interesting, and I really do hope, uh, A, that Douglas James heals up uh, well. Um, I don't know if how, you know, I haven't heard anything about Douglas James. I have no idea what the uh, uh, stakes of this injury, but hopefully he heals up fine, he heals up well, and then we get a, a, another chance down the line to see more of him because 
from what little I saw in this match, he seemed really good. And I would like to check out him or check him out more in the future. For sure. Absolutely so. Um, unfortunately, yeah, injuries can happen uh, anytime. Um, but yeah, I, I really just wish the best for Douglas James. And yeah, I think uh, it's potential to be a really, really notable guy. Um, so hopefully yeah, he's able to come back strong, stick with it, and we'll, we'll see a lot more of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, also on the show, we have uh, a new face. Maybe surprisingly so. I think he's kind of a, a significant name at this point. But uh, first time I have seen him. It is uh, Brian Cage, who we know and love very well, taking on Austin Theory. And uh, I don't know if I really think that much of Austin Theory based off this match. He wasn't bad, certainly, but uh, he seemed just kind of like like a downgraded version of Brian Cage. Like, he was reasonably big, and he was kind of agile, and he did some stuff, but like nothing, nothing that really took me by storm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I walk away maybe not really getting the big deal about Austin Theory, who I've heard is supposed to be like very, uh, notable. Like I think, uh, has been, has he been involved champion? I can't. Yes. Guess. Yeah. Been... So I don't know. I don't know. That seems very weird to me. Uh, now having seen him in, uh, in at least one match. Mm. Um, just, just coming off of this match, mm-hmm. um, cause this is also, I think my first time seeing Austin Theory. I might have caught like one or two other Evolve matches and immediately forgot about them, honestly. Um, actually being able to see Austin Theory here, um, my initial thoughts are that he is he's pretty good, but he is also very, very paint-by-numbers indie guy, which is what I kind of got from him. Like, he's got a good look, but he doesn't really have a look that like super stands out at all. In my mind, he's just kind of, you know, he looks like a wrestler, which is fine, but that's just what he is. Um, he was doing, like, super kicks. He was doing spots. I feel like I've either seen before or noticed before, like, you know, super kick to the knee to drop the guy and then super kick to the head. Um, just, he was he was all right. He, like you said, he certainly wasn't bad. I think he's really a solid wrestler, but um, I just, like I said, very much, at least to me, paint by numbers. Just, just. You know, whatever you expect of a, a wrestler dude, that's kind of what Austin Theory was in this match. Did some cool stuff. About the only thing that really stood out to me was when he did a uh, a rolling uh, standing blockbuster, where he sort of the rolling thunder then leapt up and front flip neck breaker to uh, Brian Cage, which I thought was a uh, a great spot. That I actually really enjoyed. But that was really about the only thing that stood out uh, in this match in a really positive way for me when it came to Austin Theory. Like I said, he's 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 certainly not bad. I can certainly see why people might be, you know, interested and, you know, into him. But just based off of one match, he doesn't, um, at least from what I saw, doesn't bring a lot to the table that other guys already don't bring to the table. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe he's just such a complete package that he's kind of got a little bit of everything to him. Um, I don't know. But just based off of this match, good, but... I don't know. Maybe just not my guy. Hmm. We'll have to see uh, more of him if we get the opportunity to, because I would like to, but just off of this, like I said, once again, just really want to stress this paint by numbers. Just, just, just a dude, just a dude. Um, and I do want to say, having looked him up a little bit as we're doing the show, um, 
21 years old and only two years wrestling, so maybe bearing that in mind uh, for his talent level makes him more impressive. Um, I can see if a guy kind of got to this level that quickly, uh, he could definitely catch people's eyes, so that maybe helps me get it a little better. Uh, Still not maybe a guy I'm going to go out of my way to see now, but maybe in a few years? I don't know. Like, could be. I could see it. Yeah, I I feel like that immediately... kind of changes, maybe not the whole thing about him, but that definitely adds a lot of, you know, if this guy is at 21 and is already, like, a really solid um, wrestler the way he seems to be with the solid look that he has, okay, yeah, I I understand why people might be high on him and might be interested in seeing where he goes in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, that's that's just, it's very much like, a uh, lesser version of Tyler Bate, you know, showing up at 19 and 20 and just lighting the world on fire. I don't think he's quite that sort of level um, yet, but still, 21, two years into the business, looking this good, uh, putting together a uh, really solid match here with Brian Cage, um, you know, and maybe the one guy who has ever taken the Weapon X, which is still a a very (laughs) not good move, but at least he took it and made it look like it was something worthwhile for uh, right, maybe like the, f- the time that it's hit well. Yes, sure. <laughs> exactly. So, so for that, um, Austin theory, congratulations. You made the weapon X look good. You did it. We, we thank you for that. <laughs> Indeed, Yeah. Still surprised that he's been like, uh, I guess is currently evolved champion and everything. Um, not sure I get that, but, uh, maybe just need to see more of the guy. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, all right. Uh, that, uh, that covers the first show. And I gotta say, um, some of these shows had Kevin Condren and Loud Noxious on commentary, and some of them didn't. And oh my, the difference is palpable. <laughs> like, the, the difference in quality, as far as commentary goes, is pretty much night and day. Uh, Kevin Condren, Loud Noxious, maybe my favorite commentary team anywhere right now, just for being, like, super fun and casual. And, like, having a good time and helping me have more of a good time versus the other people who just shouldn't. Like, you're trying, but stop, please. Just, that's my opinion. Um, but I love Condren, and I love uh, Loudon. I think they just do a spectacular job. So, whenever they are there, it is a huge boon to this promotion. I didn't have as much of an issue with the other commentary team. I do love Kevin. I do love Loudon. They do a really good job. They're really fun on commentary. But um, I don't know who the other people actually are. I know one was a man, one was a woman, it seemed like. Um, I thought they did all right. They did they did fine. I had no issues with them. Oh, well, fair enough. Um, anyway, we, we do move on to the second show of here, which is... Tesselmania. Uh, Tesselmania, uh, which I guess is the counterpart to Brestlemania earlier in the year. Although, I guess that show had, like, more women than this show had... A few more men, which is kind of like every other show, but uh, oh, because so. testosterone. Okay. I assume, like I assume that's why. I have no um, idea. Oh wait, was this? Who knows? Um, oh man. Oh wait, wait, this would have been in. Um, yeah, November would have been a. Uh, I think Men's Health Awareness Month is oh, November, is so okay, that so makes. Maybe sense. it's about checking on your testicles to see if you have problems down there. No testicular cancer or stuff yep. like that. That Those just general men's health. Okay. That makes a lot more sense to me because I did not understand <laughs> the name and convention at first, but now that I've thought about it, okay. That makes sense. There you go. That's cool. There you go. Um, we start with what is undoubtedly my favorite match on this uh, part of the set, on the bar wrestling part of the set. It is Brody King 
and Tyler Bateman, Violence Unlimited, teaming with Ethan Page to make Ego Unlimited. Um, very large, intimidating team. On the other side of the ring, Eli Everfly, Delilah Doom, and Marco Stunt. Um, and uh, if you've never seen any of these three wrestlers, first of all, you should, because they're all wonderful. Um, but uh, if you've never seen them, they all, especially in this match, look about four feet tall. They look literally like children uh, teamed up against the very intimidating uh, kind of a big, big man team on the other side of the ring. Um, but man, I'm actually, uh, I just want to quickly say I am upset that at no point in this match did all three of these, uh, the mother effing Rugrats, as they are known, <laughs> uh, ever fly Delilah Doom and Marco Sutt. At no point did all of them get on top of one another's shoulders to form one giant human being who would have only come up to about the chest of uh, Brody King. That is my uh, my one quibble with this match, because uh, this was a fun one, but boy, I would have loved, because they're so tiny. There's no way they, even if stacked on top of one another, they would have, like, gotten over the just the tall of, of Brody King. That would have been a phenomenal sight. It did not happen, but I can't really mark off the match for it, because... This match was fun. This match you was a lot of correct, fun. correct, though. They definitely should have formed a Megazord, and all three tried to, like, attack at the same time. That would have been quite something. Um, maybe in the rematch, because, God, I hope there would be one. This this was wonderful. I've talked before how much I just absolutely adore the team of Doomfly and how they, they may well be my favorite non-Walther thing in wrestling right now. Um, and Marco Stunt, who we have not really seen much of, um, and who is now on the injured list uh, after breaking his leg, I believe, in a different show. But uh, he is super fun as well. He's a, just an unbelievably small little guy with tremendous heart. Um, very fun. Mr. Fun size, they chances, call him. Indeed. Um, this was such a pleasure. I just absolutely love this. I don't know. Like, one of my favorite things in bar wrestling is that they just they look at, like, the wrestlers out there and they're like, you know what would be wild? <laughs> this combination of just like, just, just random out of this, uh, out of the box stuff. And I don't know, like who else would even think to put a match like this on? And, uh, I, I loved it. It was phenomenal. It was my favorite match, uh, on this part of the set. Most definitely. I had a great time with it. Uh, definitely a very fun match. Two particular points of, of, uh, of reference I would like to make. First off, it was just very fun to see all ego Ethan Page teaming up with Brody King after uh, their last singles match together, which you may recall, ego said that he was going to be a, a man, he was going to be a hero, he was going to be a role model by standing up to his fears and taking on Brody King. And now suddenly, I guess, after that, they've won each other over and now are sometimes teaming in bar wrestling, which is a fun little thing. Um, and also... This might be the first match that I actually like outright enjoyed Tyler Bate in and didn't or Tyler Bateman <laughs> in and didn't think he just existed. Um, he had a fun little segment in this match early on against uh, uh, Delilah Doom, um, where he at first you know basically says like, "I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt all the people on that other side of the ring. So I'm going to give you a chance to get out." So he extends the uh, the top and the middle ropes to allow her to leave. She doesn't take it. They fight for a little bit. He says, you know what? You're right. I made a mistake. I am sorry. So he goes back over to the ropes. And this time, 
extends the middle and the bottom ropes to offer her a way out of the ring. This was apparently even more upsetting and more insulting and led to the uh, the rest of the match. It was just such a goofy, funny, just like perfect little encapsulation of what was going on in this match. And I loved that in particular. Also, Matt Bateman did a, uh, a really good job in this match. Once again, just he felt like he he did more than just exist in this match. Really, everybody did. I thought everybody got a good chance to shine here. Everybody looked the part of, you know, whatever role they were supposed to be playing, they were playing perfectly. Um, The Rugrats did a great job of being underdog baby faces, you know, fighting off against these incredibly large and destructive men in Brody King, Tyler Bateman, and uh, Ethan Page, who all looked monstrous and were doing some great stuff. Uh, Ethan Page at one point hit a couple of just solid backbreakers that looked nasty. Um, yeah, just a, a back-and-forth, fun, just exciting uh, six-man tag here, six-person tag match. Um, just just really super enjoyable. Um, in the end, the mother and Rugrats do the impossible and actually win this match here, and it was super cathartic, super fun, and yeah, this was just a blast to watch so many different sort of elements, you know, a great story between the, uh, the huge team taking on the tiny team. And it just worked out beautifully in this match. Uh, absolutely. Like I said, this, this was great. And, uh, the, the fact that the little guys won just warmed my heart. Um, yeah. Uh, Doomfly forever. Seriously. These, oh man, I can't even talk about how much I love Doomfly. It's and once again, no, I've just got to say it because I say it pretty much every time now. Please, Dragon Gate, get Eli Everfly on the tour. Like that just just that just seems like get the Lila Doom too. Just please, just just I specifically need Eli Everfly doing some stuff in a Dragon Gate ring. That is like my dream right now. That guy is awesome. He deserves a lot of praise, a lot of love, a lot of just everything. And for my money in particular, Eli Everfly in Dragon Gate would be wonderful. Something about Doomfly, the way they wrestle, like like they're like they're gonna die tomorrow or something, and like they, ugh, I can't yeah, even that, articulate that, it. It's amazing. That is, I think that's very apt. They definitely uh they wrestle like they don't know if they're going to make it out of this match. So they put a lot of effort and energy, and they put everything on the line with basically every move they do. They're just um they're super emotional, and it's just it's great. It's great. I love Doomfly as a tag team. Um. Definitely one of the best acts going in wrestling today. Absolutely. Uh, my enduring image of them is uh, after, I think, one of the matches, like, with Brian Cage or something, after they won, they, they just, like, kissed each other so passionately, and it wasn't like, I love you, it's like, oh, my God, we're alive. Like, we have to celebrate life right now, because we might die tomorrow, for sure. So, <laughs> or in a second, like, if Brian Cage comes back and kills us. Yeah, Brian so. <laughs> Cage wakes up and is furious and just takes our heads off with lariats, so. God, they're so good. I really do just, just I cannot speak highly enough about how fun Doomfly are as a tag team. They're Please, amazing. everywhere. Everywhere, every company, start booking them as much as you can. Absolutely. Um, I wish uh, – I, I don't know who my favorite tag team of the year is going to be. I figure it will be either Rincom for Doomfly, and I'm sad that they probably can never wrestle because I don't think Rincom does intergender. But uh, if they ever do, I don't know. It would be really amazing, I think. Can you imagine just Walter versus Everfly? Like, oh, my God. I Just – could you imagine yeah. the one Walter chop that literally, like – just 
<laughs> sends Eli Everfly flying out of the ring. Oh my god! Like, it could be something out of like just an old show. You know, you see somebody get punched and they just go literally flying backwards. <laughs> That's what would happen if Walter chopped Eli Everfly. He would just soar out of the ring. It would be an like Eli Everfly-shaped hole in the wall, uh, yes. for sure. Exactly. Oh, that would be oh so good. I love it. Oh my god. Uh, all right, a few more matches to talk about. Uh, I, I think main event of this show is uh, Willie Mack taking on Nick Gage, which is a really fun combination to look at. Um, I will say to your point, uh, of the two commentators on this show, which were not Condren and Latin, um, I did, the girl, she was all right. She she came up with the ornate chairs uh, in this match because um, it's much more damaging to hit someone with an ornate chair than it is with a regular, like, a folding chair. Um, this is a dining room some... chair. You know it's just going to destroy you. I thought she yes. was a lot of fun. The she guy, though? I, I really don't like the guy. I, I, no. Christian something, I think? I don't know. I really Nothing. don't like him. I don't like his tone. Um, I don't know. Like, there, there's two ways. Like, I don't know. I just don't like him. I can't articulate it, but he's he's not good for me. Um, yeah. But uh, the match was very fun. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Uh, of course, you get a lot of brawling. Of course, you get a lot of uh, high-energy offense from the Mac, um, from Nick Gage. You get uh, just pure violence and, uh, yeah, just a lot of fun stuff in this. I had a very good time with it. Yes, a lot of brawling outside the ring, throwing each other into walls and garbage cans. It was just just a hectic mess of a match um, that uh, I, I, I think the thing that ultimately sold me on Nick Gage um, over the past few weeks was mm-hmm. I didn't see all of the Cybernetico. Um, I didn't want to go back and watch that actual full-length oh, match do. from the last because I saw that um, Nick Gage cut the tail off the proletariat boar, which is just amazing. Just, just in general, just an amazing concept. A and B in this match um, got like TKO'd off of that ornate chair before taking a stunner. And for whatever reason, just the way he sold that entire little sequence there mm-hmm. just, like, warmed my heart. I don't know what it was about <laughs> it. He just seemed super enthusiastic about, like, doing it and just really got into it. It was just awesome. It was fun. Um, Willie Mack wins this uh, with that TK onto the ornate chair, followed by a stunner, followed by a frog splash, and defeats uh, Nick Gage. And this was this was a fun one. Really mm-hmm. enjoyed this match. Uh, Nick Gage, um, after really not – Getting him for a long time is just uh, sort of continuously winning me over with small and fun things that he does. So <laughs> really, uh, really liking the ability to kind of enjoy Nick Gage uh, mostly uh, wholeheartedly. So really yeah. like that. He, he's a weird figure because you think like it, he's so into the gimmick and like, you know, he lives it to the point that he was in prison and everything. So obviously he's got some stuff going on. You, you might think that he really is just like this unpleasant guy and yet he is willing to go like all in on so many different like weird things that I think it's really clear that he's like a wonderful sport and people want to work with him um, in spite of what like you might expect just on his reputation. So I don't know. Yeah, like some about him reminds me a little of Necro Butcher, who was sort of the same. Yes, way. that's yeah. I think a very uh, very adequate uh, comparison there because uh, <laughs> Necro Butcher was also just a very like grimy, dangerous-looking dude who was, for all intents and purposes, um, I know Necro Butcher um, you know, had some very violent matches, some very just nasty stuff. 
David Butcher was kind of a goofball sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah, and I never heard anyone, like any wrestler, say a bad word about him. So I do remember the one story where uh, uh, I think Necro Butcher thought Brian Danielson, uh, Daniel Bryan, was supposed to like shoot on him at some point in like a PWG ring, <laughs> and was like laying into him. And I don't remember at what point it happens, but eventually uh, Brian confirms with him like, "No, that's that's not what I'm here to do," and like. <laughs> Necro Butcher's sheepishly like, oh, man, I'm really sorry I potatoed you a whole bunch of times. <laughs> just, just genuinely, like, really upset and unhappy. It was just, it's just, it's kind of goofy story. Just, I like Necro Butcher. I miss Necro Butcher. Um, I know some weird stuff happened there. I'm not going to get into oh, that, but I, I had fun with Necro Butcher, and I'm kind of getting that same sort of fun from uh, Nick Gage. So, yeah, good apt comparison, I think. Yeah, yeah, very fair. Um, I had no idea things happened with Necro Butcher. That's very sad. I hope he's okay and nothing uh, really bad happened wherever he is now. I remember um, was something about, like I said, some some sort of relationship thing. Don't really want to get into it because I don't know all the details. But, uh, yeah, do miss the Necro Butcher for sure. But, uh, once again, just a really apt comparison between him and uh, Nick Gage. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Two more matches to talk about, both from uh, Bar Wrestling As You Wish from uh, November 28th. First one, once again, Doomfly. No, I wouldn't miss a Doomfly match. Taking on uh, Worldwide Underground, which is fun in and of itself. Ty Valkyrie and PJ Black, sadly not Johnny Mundo, uh, which I think probably would have been even better. But um, still, I, I do have some love for PJ Black. Um, this is another really, really fun match. Doomfly, as I've said, they're just everything. I love them. They're 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 so stupendous. Um, Worldwide Underground also does really well. The best part of the match, I think, was PJ Black doing this complicated submission and like taking um, two, taking both both Eli and Delilah into a submission at one time, and then Taya like uh, going down and just like whacking the head of Eli Everfly as he like yes, couldn't defend was, himself. That was a wonderful little sequence for sure. It was a uh, a gory special on Delilah and then I think they call it like the rocking or like the standing like rocking horse. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He's really inverted Boston Crab with the uh wrist clutch and he's swinging the guy back and forth on uh, Eli Everfly and Taya does a split and then proceeds to like punch and chop the head of Eli as he gets swung forward and it was just it was ridiculous. It was wonderful. It was uh, a sight to behold. So, yeah. Uh, in the end, Worldwide Underground picks up a victory, a kind of a shocking victory. I was not expecting the match to end yeah. on that spot, actually. Um, uh, they both, uh, both Taya and uh, PJ hit a couple of finishers. Uh, Taya hits her uh, the sit-out, like, chicken wing face buster. Uh, PJ Black hits, uh, like, a cradle DDT. And they end up picking up the win, which was kind of shocking to me. I was, uh, I'm typically so used to uh, Doomfly overcoming the odds and picking up a victory that when they didn't, I was actually shocked and almost appalled that it didn't happen. Despite the fact that their opponents in this match are Taya Valkyrie and PJ Black, who are also very good. So yeah, true though. You you usually see Doomfly win. We see them beat a uh, much larger, more intimidating team. So I, I was also surprised that it went down that way. Um, but yeah, very good match here. Um, leading into our, our last match to talk about, which is another great one in my opinion. It is Brody King taking on Brian Cage uh, in a real agile hoss battle. Um, Brody King, man, he is really something. Um, he's able to leap around on the ropes like Phoenix at times. and uh, He literally yeah. did the Phoenix drop down onto the second rope. 
uh, leap back onto the top uh, arm drag spot. It just blew my just blew my mind. Just, mm-hmm. just completely destroyed it. Absolutely Was not expecting so. that. Um, I I almost think uh, maybe even showed up Brian Cage a little bit here because I I don't know like I like both these guys a lot but. Uh, I don't know. The stuff King was doing was just resonating with me more than the stuff Cage was doing. So, uh, I don't know. Cage, um, I, I like a lot of things about Cage, but, uh, maybe, maybe he's now getting shown up a little by these guys who are not so much just like get, get my stuff in. Uh, if you want to do the PG version who are, who are maybe, uh, making their stuff a little more impressive, a little more impactful. I don't know. I, I like Cage a lot, but, uh, I was definitely just, feeling Brody King a lot more here, and I was really feeling that during the match. I don't know about you. Uh, I definitely agree. Uh, in general, I just I, I really like Brody King. He's really just impressive in a mm-hmm. lot of different ways. Um, and I definitely think he was kind of showing up Brian Cage here. Not that Brian Cage was doing anything wrong, but right. I just uh, think Brody King has just got – he's got a little bit – a something to him, and he looked really good in this match. Here's here's something I, I uh, that kind of dawned on me during this match. Mm-hmm. Um, we know Brian Cage, a big dude, fairly tall dude, yep. um, and we know Brody King, you know, a fairly big, fairly tall dude. Brody King is taller than Brian Cage. Yep, might only be like, like an inch and a half, but he is undoubtedly, unquestionably taller than Brian Cage. Probably and that, a bit more than that, yeah. Yeah, and I was I was actually kind of bewildered at this fact that he was actually dwarfing Brian Cage. Brian Cage is not a small human being. He's like, I don't know, six foot three, six foot four, maybe six foot five. I I think you may have a weird idea of how tall Brian Cage is. Brian Cage is billed at six foot. Um, Is he really? Yeah. So he's just kind of like a stacked. He's like a normal size guy vertically and then just like ridiculously stacked. So yeah. I always thought he was taller than that. King pretty well towering over him, I thought. Um, His King is like a a solid like six foot six, six foot seven, I think. I believe so. Yeah. He's a legitimate like giant, I would say. Um, So yeah, yeah, uh, quite a bit taller um, for sure. Which yeah, I just I must have had just the wrong conception of Brian Cage in my head. <laughs> it's weird how that Brody. happens. I thought for a long time that um, that Viscera uh, was short and like just really wide, but no, he is like six foot ten or something. So yeah, he was. He it's was very weird tall how that can happen. You can just get a weird idea of how tall people are. Yes, indeed. But it, it just like I said, and he wasn't just necessarily that he was taller than Brian Cage. He just looked bigger yeah. than Brian Cage. Just, just, just more enormous than Brian Cage, which is incredibly hard to do. And this guy who looked that big was, once again, doing double springboard spots and, like, run-up-the-rope diving crossbodies onto him. And it was just – it was spectacular. This was a very fun match, a very kind of weirdly done match because they focused on their uh, uh, – agility and, you know, sort of flying skills and even some technical wrestling earlier on in this bout as opposed to their strength. But they did eventually get their, you know, cannonballs onto the body and big shots in the end. Um, uh, to me, at least, slightly disappointing finish as Brian Cage wins with an F5 after uh, um, Brody King misses a cannonball into the corner, if I recall. Picks him up, F5, him and wins the match. Um, this match was a lot of fun, but Man, I'm just I'm really into Brody King. 
Um, maybe not as much as you are, but that's because you, I know you are a huge uh, Birdie King follower and have been for a while, I think. Since so. time I saw him, yeah, last year, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, he's, he's part of the future of this business, no doubt, in a big way. Which will be, uh, I don't know if you've heard this. Um, you may have, but uh, Brody King actually signed a contract with a uh, Ring of oh, Honor. God. Yeah, I thought you were going to say with WWE, so God, no, that's no, no. scary. No, Ring of Honor uh, is, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And, yes, uh, no, I, I know you're not happy about this, actually. <laughs> uh, I'm personally not, because I really like uh, Brody King. Um, unfortunately, uh, him and PCO and Bandito, actually, just oh. recently reported as signing a ROH contract which is uh, interesting, but um, sort of the big news coming out of the uh, PCO and Brody King signings are that they recently debuted for ROH in uh, in storyline as being part of Villain Enterprises with Marty Skrull. And on one hand, the concept and the idea of PCO and Brody King teaming together is amazing. That's incredible. That that has potential to be one of the like wildest tag teams of all time. Modern day PCO teaming with Brody King. That's that's great on paper. On the other hand, it's with Marty Scarl. <laughs> and it's with a, a bullet club or elite semi like connected thing in villain enterprises, and that's just not no. No. No 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 no. I don't I don't like that. I don't support that. I don't approve of that. Um Hopefully they like immediately boot Marty Skrull in the face and leave his group and continue to team in ROH. That would be fine with me. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, that's 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 what's happening in ROH. Um, big ups to uh, Brody King, PCO, and apparently Bandito for getting those contracts. Uh, best of luck to them in a Ring of Honor and whatever uh, Ring of Honor allows them to do because potentially depending on a how closely are they are still tied with a new Japan. Maybe this means PCO in a new Japan ring, Brody King in a, uh, cause you imagine like, a. I can't, just... I literally can't. I don't think they, I like, I'd be interested to see it certainly, but I don't think they go together. Um, I PCO don't know. Maybe who Mikami. knows? Like, I really PCO believe versus PCO, so who knows? PC, PCO versus Ishii. <laughs> PCO versus Makabe. PCO versus, or I don't Makabe. know, Tanahashi. <laughs> Why do you throw Makabe? Who cares about Makabe anymore? Um, oh, no, man. I get it, though, for sure. Like, I, I love PCO. I got a lot of faith in him. I, I think he could do anything he wanted to, pretty much. So it's not a fit that would have occurred to me. Because um, I feel like, I don't know, with PCO, you kind of have to like be able to buy into like the madness that is all around yes. him. And I don't know if that translates to new Japan, but I'd be love. I'd love to see him try Brody King on the other end, I think uh, is a very natural fit and could become potentially even a very big star over there. Um, you know, not for nothing that he is uh, modeled to some degree off of bruiser Brody, who was of course tremendously successful in Japan. So yeah, I don't know. could be, could be something very cool there. Um, I actually think, uh, uh, Brody King as part of that sort of never open weight uh, contendership sort of group alongside guys yeah. like Goto, Suzuki, Ishii, Ibushi. That could make for some really interesting and fun matches if that were to ever occur. So, Well, 
Yeah. God knows walking in the door, Brody King would be like one of my five favorite guys in New Japan, um, which maybe says more about my opinion of New Japan uh, roster than anything. But still, like, I'd love to see it happen. I think it'd be very interesting. It'd be a great, clearly, opportunity for him. So it's a good point. I like it. Indeed, indeed. Uh, hopefully, ROH treats all of those guys super well because uh, all three of them, uh, Brody King, PCO, and Bandito, all deserve it. They better be set to treat them well because if I'm not mistaken, like a whole bunch of really important contracts expired at uh, you know after final battle, pretty much the whole elite. Um, pretty yeah, the much the elite uh, are gone. Yep, uh, the uh, SoCal uncensored. Um, few other people, I believe. So yeah, they're they're gonna have to rely on uh, on some fresh talent, and um, and uh, I hope they can do that because I think that'll help them out a lot. I feel like Ring of Honor has been pretty stale for a long time. They need maybe some help there. Indeed, indeed. All right, but that is pretty much everything we want to talk about. I think anything else uh, from you, my friend? Uh, nope. Uh, that's all from uh all from me for right now. Just once again want to reiterate. That I am super stoked for Jakar's uh, upcoming season yes. 20 next year. That's looking like there's going to be a whole bunch of good stuff in there, and I cannot wait for it. Absolutely so. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, please, uh, if you like, give us a shout. Give us a follow on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gent. He's at Big Def Energy. That's uh, B-I-G-D-E-F Energy. Um, give us a follow. Give us a shout anytime. Also, check out the other great programs on LP Radio. we got a, a great channel. Check out uh, upcoming coverage of cool things like Wrestle Kingdom from a couple of different sources. I know the, the uh, what, what's, what's Zan's show called now? The, the, um, the Kingdom of Honor, Kingdom I of believe. Honor, yeah, they're going to do a great version of it. I think Imp is doing some really cool stuff, too. Um, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff to check out on LP Radio right now. And, of course, all the great programs that cover WWE as well. Um, also, LordsOfPan.net and LPForums.com for a lot of great written material. Really hope you'll check it out and join the conversation. So that is everything. Um, like I said, I'm not sure what our holiday schedule is going to look like, but please keep an eye out for us because I have no doubt we'll be back soon with all the wrestling which may have been falling under your radar. So until then, thank you. We have been The Global Revolution. Happy holidays, everybody, and see ya!